Hello and welcome to Mirror Talk. We have moments where we just have to pause. Just pause and take a break and reflect on life. Remember, you are strong, you are enough, you are capable, you are blessed and you are loved. Your moment of greatness starts now. I am grateful to have a retired physician and psychoanalyst who has been working on a path of searching for awakening for 40 years. How are you doing, Christiana Michelberger? Hello, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me here. Um, can you walk me through your personal path of finding awakening before and after being diagnosed of breast cancer? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, that was quite a long path, 40, four decades, 40 years. Um, it started when I was 25, and I was a very young physician on night shift in surgery. You know, it was my first year. You have to go through in, internal medicine and surgery and one specialty you can choose. And mm -hmm. so I was on night call. Now, I was a beginner, so there were lots of people in the background for me. And... Um, the receptionist called and said, um, a motorbike has announced who's severely insured. Mm. And so we immediately called everybody together in the emergency room. And when the motorbiker arrived, he had already died. We couldn't do anything for him. Mm. And then we searched for his papers. You know, we have to write a death certificate for that. And so I found his identity card and I looked at it and I saw that he was born in the same year as I was. He was 25 years old. Mm. And I was such a shock. And in that moment, I realized, gosh, um, that I'm going to die is not only a probability that always exists, it's actually an upcoming reality. That was suddenly totally clear that I was actually going to die. Mm. Maybe not now, but yes. And the next thought that came up, and I don't even know who I am. You know, it's like you're born, you run a little bit around back and forth, and then you die. I thought I have to find out, but how do you find that out? Now, this was the time long before internet. We still had only landlines, which were very expensive to make long-distance calls, and um, so I didn't really know what to do. Now, I wasn't into any spiritual stuff. Um, the most I did, I was singing in, the, in a church choir, but um, this wasn't really a spiritual endeavor. It was more singing. I had the idea I had to meditate, and I thought, meditate, hmm, okay, but I didn't know where I would find such a thing. I lived uh, close to Tübingen, which is in the south of Germany, and it's a university town. So um, usually there are all kinds around in a university town. If, if you want to do something, you find it over time. Well, anyway, after two weeks, um, I came again home after a night shift in the morning, and my husband said, hey, have a look in the newspaper. There is an advertisement for a meditation course. And I looked at it, and it was an introduction into a Zen meditation course. And I thought, yeah, I go, that's uh, 
I think it was Saturday, Sunday. And um, after this weekend, I was totally bored into meditation. I literally meditated each day, even when I was on call. I always found half an hour to meditate. And uh, I was totally into it. And I had heard the word enlightenment for the first time, and that's what I wanted. And so... I thought, okay, I went to Sashin's, this uh, week-long courses with a Zen master. And Zen is something totally strict. No speaking at all. You just sit quietly, very upright. The teacher goes around and checks your posture. And um, the communication happens with wooden sticks. Like, they tap on each other in different rhythms and over time, you learn what that means, like getting up. Um, then in between the meditation sessions, you walk around, and then the sticks go again, and you walk very quickly. And then you can sit down when you come around to your seat again at the, the next time. And things like that. And eating, and everything is only done with gestures. Like um, when you eat on your meditation seat, and you, get, you have a bowl, and you get served the food, and you can't say thank you, it's enough, then you just wrap your hands, and they know it's okay. <laughs> Things like that. No speaking at all. No speaking, wow. Yeah. That must have been very difficult, right? I liked it. I actually liked it a lot. And the only time I would speak is each day I would have an opportunity to speak to the Zen master. Now, Zen masters are known for being notoriously short in their answers. So one sentence, one full sentence, is already plenty. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's a meditation without speaking, which is actually mm. quite nice because you don't stuff your head with all this dogmatic stuff, you know? Yeah, there are some suttas that are recited, which you don't understand anyway, um, because what they talk about is about the awakened state, and it's not possible to grasp it. I found somebody who also was into Zen, and his teacher has said, you only learn these suttas so you recognize what happens later. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and I really wanted to get enlightenment, so I thought, I'm going to try to get it to a Japanese Zen cloister. Zen meditation mm -hmm. comes from the Japan. And there was one teacher who spoke English. And the one who was coming to Germany was a very old man. He didn't have a monastery any longer. He had already retired. But he had studied philosophy in the beginning of the 20th century in Germany. And so... He um, could speak a little bit German. That's how we communicated. And so I wrote to the Japanese monastery. And I had, in the meantime, I had met a woman who had been there too. And I got a German reply, which was very strange. And <laughs> it was from a Benedictine monk who said, um, I strongly advise you against coming here. And he just listed all the difficulties that I would encounter. And, he, and then he said, I suggest you do 
12 sessions with a Zen master in succession. That means he is recognized by another Zen master. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. Then I went, but then it wasn't quick enough for me. Then I went to an Indian guru, which promised to give it more quickly, mm -hmm. which actually this movement turned into a cult, which was very ugly. And um, I got quite some scratches there, but I also learned a lot. Um, there was one thing um, I would, when I would just sit there and just close my eyes, I would sink in these incredibly blissful states. And I always thought, and it was sold like this, um, it's being in the same space as the teacher here, right? Mm. And, uh, and that was actually the worst, because when I left, these states still came, and I didn't want to be in the space with this guy any longer. And so I had to stop meditating and really came into a pretty dark night of a soul for a long time, for two years. Mm. Um, well, then I participated in a training. I was already training for being a psychotherapist and analyst. And that was very interesting. There was a nun, a Buddhist nun, who was speaking about something I had never heard of. And I went there, and she spoke the whole week each morning. And she spoke about meditation states that you can enter when you focus properly. And she described what I had experienced. And I thought, wow, this had nothing to do with the teacher at all all and that really felt like spiritual abuse mm. and so um, I thought there is some knowledge out there which knows obviously much more than any teacher I've met so far and so I came to know the scriptures the his, uh, of the historical Buddha the teachings he gave and the university says that the way they were transmitted is rather reliable, so I cannot judge that at all. And I met people who studied the scriptures, and I became active in that, and uh, I'm still connected to them. And uh, so that was nice, but it wasn't getting me anywhere, basically. I understood a lot, and my life felt better. Uh, like there are ethical rules that are suggested to follow as a practice and like um, basically like the Ten Commandments, only they are only suggestions and it is expected that you fail, right? Yeah. And uh, yes, and so fast forward many years to mm -hmm. 19, 2015, it started in 75. And in 1915, in 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer out of the blue. I was just going, uh, we have here in Germany this regular checkups for people of over 50. Yes. And uh, you can participate in them. And so I had just gone there and I got a letter saying, I need to come back for an ultrasound. And I thought, yeah. They need to justify that they do it at all because it's very questionable how much it actually helps. But well, mm. uh, I came there and I saw the x-rays on the screen there and it was so obvious that I had cancer. 
It was totally a classical image. And uh, I and, and the very strange thing was on my way there I went with um, U-Bahn with the metro. Yes. And uh, because it was in the Mönckebergstraße, which is downtown, and I was bored basically sitting there. <laughs> and I I did and do have an inner guidance. And so I just I just chatted up and said, hey, what's up with this? And my inner guide, I heard a very clear and loud voice and said, you do have breast cancer and you will need to take care of it. And I thought, what? Because I had not at all thought that would be possible. Mm. Well, and then I stepped into the room, mildly prepared for that. And, uh, and the moment I had heard this voice, my panic just flooded me. It was amazing. I was so afraid to die. And my thoughts were racing what I would do. Within a week, I had studied and read thoroughly all studies that had ever been done on any treatment to be sure I make the right decision. <laughs> my head was totally mm. spinning. Mm. And, uh, and then I lay in hospital, and it, it was not getting better. I had had surgery, and you know, in the mornings, I learned to cherish the first seconds in the mornings. I would still, I was just like woken up, and my eyes were still closed, and everything was calm, everything was fine, nothing bad had ever happened. Mm. And then <laughs> the knowledge downloaded from the cloud, you have breast cancer, <laughs> and it crushed me. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That was really pretty, it was unbelievable. And so I'd, um, I just thought, why can't I help myself? I'm a psychoanalyst. I know every trick on the earth about how to deal with fear. This fear couldn't be dealt with. And uh, it, it just wouldn't, wouldn't even go down. It just was high, high, high all the time. And my Buddhist knowledge didn't help me. In, in Buddhism, there is a very famous saying that says, the Buddha said, it, if you can't control it, it can't be yours. If you can, can't control your body, and I certainly couldn't in this case, however, mm. it can't be yours. And if you can, can't control your thoughts, they can't be yours. And if you can't control your feelings, they can't be yours. And I said, why can I not see this after 40 years? Mm. I still think I'm afraid... I'm panicking. I'll die <laughs> soon. Yeah. And uh, I just, I was done and said, okay, this search has utterly failed. I haven't reached mm. anything. Mm. Nada. And so I thought, okay, what to do? And it was very interesting because in that moment, realizing that I had not gotten anywhere, it was like I turned my back on my rather exotic identity as a searcher or a seeker. Mm. Yeah. It had been very exotic with Japanese Zen masters and Indian gurus meditating under, uh, to the sound of um, monkeys, you know, jumping yeah. around in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, exotic. <laughs> very exotic, yeah. very exotic yeah. identity. And I thought, mm. I have to find now. Uh, there is 
no time left, maybe. I didn't know what to do again. And mm. two weeks later on my Facebook, it's always like two weeks later on my Facebook page, a post um, on my feed, a post showed up that had the title, a friend of mine had liked it, that um, the body's not ready for awakening. And I thought, that sounds interesting. I'll read it. And I read it. And in this um, article was a link to a page, Liberation Unleashed, um, which claimed that they were guiding people to seeing that there is no self. And I thought, well, I've heard that before. <laughs> um, let's see what they're doing there. And they ha you can go on this page. Their dialogues are public. And so I read dialogues in the archive, uh, successful dialogues. And there was, I could follow for a long time. And then there was always this point when something happened and I could no longer follow What they said after that was like a Zen poem. It was a riddle. Mm. And I thought, okay, something is definitely happening there. Yeah. And I thought, okay, should I try that? Should I not try that? What, what happens if there is no I? Mm. Will I no longer want to be with my partner? Will I function at all? Or will I go mad or something? I had no idea. And then I thought, oh, you've done more crazy things than that one. Um, you always fell on your feet. It'll happen again. And so um, since I would have the radiation treatment shortly after that, and you have to answer every day when you do this inquiry there, I thought, oh, I don't know how I'm going to take it. I'm going to download the book with dialogues and just ask the question myself. And I did that. And there, simply questions asking for what is the I. Like, for example, you can try this out. Put your hand up, the palm up. To all the listeners, please, if you're psychologically, mentally unstable, don't do this. If the self falls away, it cannot be recovered. Mm. It's like seeing that Santa doesn't exist. You can <laughs> never believe it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So turn it around <laughs> yes. and turn it back and around and keep turning it. And now watch out like a hawk. What does, what turns the hand? What does that? Um, my mind is turning the hand. <laughs> no, really look, really look as if you're looking what is moving that wheel. Oh, um, my wrist is moving. The, the wrist is moving, right? And what is moving the wrist? Um, my elbow is moving. Mm -hmm. And what is, what is in it initiating that? Where does it originate, the movement? Hmm. I think it's coming from my head, right? I'm telling, well, I'm telling my look. hands to... Have a look. Where in your head does it come from? Yeah, this, is, this is very tricky. Because <laughs> I'm thinking... My, my biceps or my triceps are the ones um, responsible for your movement. That's right. Yes. Then, um, I don't know, there's some, new, there's some neurons from my, from my head uh, connected to my arm that, um, you know, tells my hands to move. And what commands them? What commands them? Hmm. 
It's a good question. What commands them? Me, right? <laughs> I'm commanding them. Well, where is this me? How do you know it's there? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I know it's there because I'm aware of myself. I, um, I have control over my body. So it's all connected to each other. Well, this is what you know, but does your experience prove that? Yeah, that's a good question. No. In this inquiry, you are your own consciousness researcher, and you basically look for proof for what you think is true. Hmm. So, so what's the answer to this question? question? Um, <laughs> what is controlling my, my hand? Yeah, what can you notice? What, what is in your first-hand experience uh, moving the hand? Apart from the muscles, what commands them? What steers them? Where does that originate, the movement? In your first-hand experience, what can mm. you say? My first-hand experience, I would say, I was, my, my brain um, consciously told my hand to move. Like, you, you gave me the command, right? So it came directly from you to me. Can, you, me. can you experience your brain? Uh, not not in, the, in, in the real sense of it. But I know it is there. <laughs> so you, you, you gave me the command, I received the external command from you, and then my brain translated it to, yes, lift up your right hand, um, face your palm up, and face it down, just as you instructed me to do. Okay, could you find an eye that is doing that? I'm, doing, I'm turning my hand. Hmm? Hmm. The eye that is doing that. Wow, I really have to dig deep to find this out. No, don't think, don't think. Look, yeah. really look like yeah. under a microscope. What is yeah. actually there? This is real research. Mm. We don't think about that's a hypothesis. We want to prove the hypothesis. Wow, I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> What's the idea is there? That's the, that's the answer. You don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know, seriously. That's just the answer. And you know, when you do these kind, I have many more experiments, as you already found in the Keto Awakening and my freebie. Yes. Uh, and at some point, the evidence just lets kind of the scales tip and it becomes totally clear that there is no I. For me, mm. it happened while I was sitting here on my couch on a Sunday afternoon, must have been the 2nd of August, I think, in 2015. And uh, I was reading, I, you know, I had done all this kind of stuff and had, had found out this I is just a word that gets attached like a computer virus to everything. Thinking turns into I'm thinking, seeing turns into I'm seeing, touching mm. turns into I'm touching. And then came the next question that said, um, is there a you in any physical form or shape? And I thought, what a silly question, of course not. <laughs> and while I was thinking that sentence, it was yes. as if I was moved to the side. I still know whether I was actually moved to the side. And mm. I hit a wall at like 100 kilometers speed. And everything stood still. It was totally silent. And I saw absolutely clearly that there was no me whatsoever. 
Wow. Yeah. So who am I? Who am I? <laughs> what is me? <laughs> I don't understand. Can you explain that to me? Like, how do I, how do I explain my identity when, I, when there's no I, when there's no me? Well, in my experience, I don't have an identity. Hmm. I don't feel like a woman. I don't feel like a spiritual teacher. I don't feel like anything, really. Wow. There's so no identity like? left. Like, mm. yeah, nothing. Uh, um, everything that's there has no added meaning to it. It's just there. So it's, it's just, just vanity. vanity. It's just fake. Pardon me? Um, it's, it's just, just um, vanity or vague. I mean, nothing. nothing. Yeah. yeah, vanity. Um, it's like we have words for a lot of things and things that things that exist and things that don't exist, like my cup. Yeah. Yeah, so my, all my assorted things here. My mm. grapes. Yeah, grapes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my calendar. Oh, I still have a paper calendar. Um, mm. These are all paper, uh, grapes, calendar, um, cup. These are words for things that are actually there, right? Mm. Yes. Then there are words for things that are not actually there, but they consist of parts that are there, like university. The university is a concept, but it consists out of buildings, students, teachers, library, assistants, um, classrooms, all this kind of stuff. That's what the university is made of. And then there are things that, words that don't describe anything that exists in the way that it can be experienced through the senses. Mm. For example, Santa, Weihnachtsmann, um, Weihnachtsmann was the German word for Santa. Um, yes. <laughs> tooth fairy, I, maybe some people know tooth fairy. That's the fairy that uh, takes the tooth away from the child that loses their teeth <laughs> and, leaves a, and leaves a little gift there. Yeah. And Spider-Man, Superman, Mickey Mouse, these are all words for something that doesn't exist. And now your task is to find out is the me a word for something that actually exists or is it a word only? Yeah. I've, I've always thought that me or I is like what I am touching right now, like my head, my shoulder. Right. I'm touching, my, I'm touching me. I'm touching me. This is, this is me. This is it's physical. It um, exists. But you said it's just like um, a name to something that does not exist. If well, I got you right. Uh, well, the body can be seen. The question mm. is, what makes it your body, my body, me? Hmm. That's a good, good question. question. Yeah. Because I, I took, took I took possession of it, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said this is my this is my this is my cop. Right. It's, it's a cop, right? But because, because I bought it with my money or I got it as a gift, gift then I say this is Toby's cop. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so this, is, this is this is a body given to me. So um, <laughs> it becomes me. <laughs> the question is, to whom is the body given? What is it that is separate from the body that received the body? Uh, the best thing to do is find out where you feel this entity. It's usually when you say I, there's somewhere a feeling of this me. Mm. And then just, ex there are body sensations of some kind, and then just explore them. And if, or some people feel it 
the eyes behind the eyes, for example, that's a very a spot where it's very often felt. Yeah. And then just explore the sensations and find out how do you know this is the eye? What says this is the eye? Yeah. And behind the eyes, the me is yeah. often experienced. That's a very a mm -hmm. usual way of feeling that's me. So yes. basically, you look for the eye wherever it shows up and follow it like a detective and see it should leave a trace if it actually exists. Mm. Like if a cat ran into your uh, apartment, it would leave some traces for sure, and you would maybe even hear it or see it. Mm. And what is the sigh? It is something I have to search for. As in, honestly speaking, I don't have the answer to this question. I don't know what this eye is. I think I really have to search deep and find out who this eye yes, is. Yes, you, entity. Right. You can't answer that just off the bat. That's not possible. And um, this is how the inquiry works. You basically look for it, and I have all these kind of different experiments for that. Would you like another one? Yes, yes, please. Okay, so just put your fingers on the keyboard. Do you have a keyboard? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have a keyboard, yeah. Mm -hmm. And close your eyes. Mm. And feel the sensations that appear when you, from touching the keyboard. Mm. When you feel the sensations, just allow yourself to totally tune into them. What is felt? Is there a keyboard and the fingers? When you yes. Okay. Yes. Is there? I, I can feel the keyboard. On, on okay. And what do you actually feel? What tells you that there is a keyboard? Um, honestly, because yeah, I, I know that before closing my eyes, I was placing my hands on, on keyboards. So, so I, my brain is telling me, oh, you're touching keyboards. Okay, uh, but when you focus on the sensations of the fingers, it's easier with the eyes closed. Mm. What do the sensations tell you? A part of my body is touching some external factor, some slippery um, objects. Okay. Does it say anything about fingers or keyboard? Keys? No. Okay. Where is the border between the fingers and the keyboard? Uh, if you only refer to the sensations. Yes. Like right now I can feel like um, a wet surface in between like my finger and something I'm touching. Like I feel like a very moist um interface in between them. Mm -hmm. How do you so know? I, I, if you don't look, how do you know it's an interface? It's because it feels like it's, it's not a part of me. Um, it feels like my whole body, this entity is connected and um, all of a sudden it's touching an external factor. Mm -hmm. And this, this, this moist, this moist feeling in between um, feels like the point of contact of my body to something else. Mm -hmm. Now, leave aside um, the interpretations of it, just referring to only the sensations that can be felt. Imagine you've never seen a keyboard, mm -hmm. <laughs> and somebody says, 
blind, puts a blindfold on and says, I'm going to lay your fingers on this. How does it feel like? What is it? Yes, it feels, it feels like a rough surface. Mm -hmm. Good. I, I can feel a rough surface underneath my finger. And I'm wondering, what's, what is this rough surface? Right. Now, is there a feeler and the felt or only feeling? I think there's a, it's just a, a feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. When you do these exercises and relax into the actual experience that there, it actually feels really good. Hmm. Oh, should I open my eyes now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was good for a minute. But how, how do you, how do you how do you really how do you really um, switch off your mind to really or relax yourself to really do these exercises because. I, I am a kind of person that um, I don't really give up myself that easily. I don't relax easily. I don't, I don't know how to do it. How do I really um, shut off my mind, my thoughts, my brain to feel the moment, to, feel, to experience what, I, what I'm feeling at the moment? That's a very important question. Actually, you don't have to shut it off. It's more like imagine you go into a, a bar where they play live music with a friend or several friends. And you can either focus on the music, then you won't be able to hear your friends very well when they are talking, or you focus on your friends and the music moves into the background. And this is what you do with these little experiments. You simply move the focus to the sensations and think, okay, what am I actually experiencing? And many find it easier to imagine Okay, they have, for example, you can do with sound. They have never heard the sound before. They're just coming out of a country where this um, kind of motorcycle doesn't exist without a muffler or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and now they're, they're hearing it and they can't make anything out of it, but they can hear the sound. What are they hearing? Mm. You know, it's really mm. like... Um, what is that actually? What am I experiencing? It takes a lot of curiosity too. Yeah. What yes. What is the world this body goes through without all the interpretations I'm putting on it? What am I actually experiencing? Yeah, <laughs> I ask myself this question a lot of time, but it's, I I don't find any valid answer to that. Like, what am I really experiencing at this moment? Is this happiness? Am I feeling joyful? Is this how peace of mind feels like? How do I answer those questions? How do I really know what I am experiencing? That can be a tough one. Um, mm. Because we are so used to not really feeling anything, but just referring to a memory in our head, how it felt yeah. before, that mm. we hardly taste the food. Just play with it. Just next meal, just find out how the food actually tastes. <laughs> it might be worse yeah. or better than you thought, mm. <laughs> for example. <laughs> yes. And I found that quite amazing. Um, I, I remember I did it with a banana first. And I thought, I like bananas, but it tastes like cardboard. It doesn't taste <laughs> like much. <laughs> and at that moment you paid attention to the taste of the banana right, that, oh, right. Mm. To, the, to the taste and it wasn't as I expected or as I 
I probably had just a memory in my head from a really nice banana that I liked that was very tasteful. And I didn't even notice how this tasted usually. And when I paid attention to it, it was like, ah, this is not what I remember. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We call it direct experience or actual experience. Yeah. And yeah. it's from there where it can be seen that there is no me. Mm. When, because awakening is not something far out state which you reach after gaining, I don't know which merits, but it's simply leaving aside all the interpretations, mostly about the aspects of me. There are many aspects of them. And when they fall aside, what's left is the awakened state. Yeah. Yeah. You, you made mention of uh, you made mention of um, different aspects of me. Mm -hmm. So what, what are these aspects? What are these aspects? So of me? Um, first, there is there are different layers. Basically, one after the other peels off. First, there is this: mm. I am doing this. I am experiencing. I am hearing. Um, I am thinking. I am controlling everything. I'm deciding. The me as the agent. I'm acting. That is the first layer. And that is the crucial layer, because if that is not seen through, the journey won't go ahead. When that is yeah. seen through and somebody passed the eye of the needle, then the next layer will be wanting and not wanting. You know, we continuously react to everything. We want more of it or less of it or want it to disappear. And we continuously push and pull an experience on experience mm. in order to feel better or at least less bad. Yeah. And uh, that is the next layer. And um, so I want also to say how it feels when these illusions are seen through. It's each time a huge relief when the self-illusion falls. It's like, wow, gosh, life feels so light because mm. it's such a heavy weight. You know, we keep up an alternate reality. Many people try that, but this one nearly really everybody tries to keep up this alternate reality of me being in control till the facts scream in our face that we are not. See COVID. Yeah. That's the first layer. And when you see, oh, you don't have to make sure the sun rises the next morning. You know, the Egypt, old Egyptian priests tried to do that mm. with their rituals in the evenings. Um, no, yes. it's just actually all happening. It's all right. I can relax. That is such a relief. And when it is seen that there is actually nothing pushing us to react, uh, that's, that's the best shift. That is, um, it, it's totally freeing because then there is contentment independent of the circumstances. Yeah. Things don't need to be the way we want them to be to feel good. Mm. Mm. And that's just wow. wonderful. That is so wonderful. Yes. And the next layer is the subject-object split. That means we experience everything from our subjective perspective. It's not the me, but a perspective we have of things. There are objects, and objects is everything we can discern. Thoughts, things, actual things, um, feelings, anything. Sound, touch, all these things are in this regard objects. And we feel there is a border between me and that, all these experiences. And 
the things are also separated from each other. And when the, it is seen that there is actually no subject, that's another self-aspect, then these borders fall. Things don't look separate any longer, but they don't blur either. There are just changes in color, and everything feels much more intimate, much more like your friend, something yeah. like that. Yes, yes. And the next steps is actually the end of your world. Because in the next step, you look into whether the world is actually a perceived world or not. And when it becomes clear that the world is only experienced and that we have no way of proving that it's actually perceived, that's the end of the world. And it's clear we don't know that. We can't say there yes. is a world that looks like this mm. outside yes. of ourselves. It's more mm. a dreamlike thing, actually. And you know, this is accessible by logic. Our eyes don't see a tree or a cup or a mug. They see light waves. And the light waves enter the retina, get transformed into small electrical currents, go to the brain, and in specialized places they, were, they are put together to an image. Now, whether this image actually exists outside, we have no way of telling. We can't stick our head out of experience and say, ah, that's out there. For a bee, the world looks totally different. Yes. And for a dog, most likely too, and for a cat too. So we don't know what this world is that we experience. We experience this, that's for sure. But what is actually there? Yeah. This is, this is very deep. This is this very, is, very deep. This is very deep. And that is when it becomes clear that all our experience is, has no thingness to it. It is insubstantial, how it is called. It has no substance, no thingness to it. Yes, the cup is firm to touch. But when I dream, I also walk on some kind of earth that's firm to touch. And where is it when I wake up? Another realm, in another world. In another world, maybe. So, wow. yeah. And time and space disappear here. So uh, the experience is more two-dimensional. I actually um, put some dance into our car during that episode. It later becomes easier. But uh, when it just had happened, I, you know, or I drove over a curb because to me it looked like a flat road. With quite some speed, <laughs> things like that, <laughs> or hitting. I nearly hit a gas pump. Actually, the um, ADAC, the AAA Motor Club, had yes. to come because I had torn off my the wheel case, some part of the wheel case I couldn't drive. Mm. So, um, and then the only thing that remains is a very subtle sense of I exist. Oh, I am. And I always knew that. For me, it was a taste. It was the taste of me. And I've known it since I was seven or eight consciously. And uh, so that was, that's an exploration that's very strange because it's not graspable. It's like an itch you can't scratch. 
But at that point, it feels so weird that there is no, that there is this me sense still there. It really feels weird. Mm. And yes, and so you explore whether there is actually this felt me, a very subtle exploration. During the inquiry, we gain um, the, the ability to look into these subtle layers. As they become more subtle, we get more acquainted to the more subtle layers and we can look into them. Yeah. And when the self falls, it totally falls. There is no sense of any identity left. I felt like a foreigner in my body. It was like, whose body is this? First, I didn't know, can I still move it? How does this thing move? Hmm. And so I slowly tried everything out. And yes, it still all worked. But any sense of identity was completely gone. So how did you find your identity back? How did you... I didn't. It didn't come back. You didn't come back? These illusions don't come back once they're seen through. That's why I warn everybody. Um, another, this can have a side effect, especially in the last sense of self, of I am. When the sense falls, all the defense mechanism with which we hold conflicts, you know, deeply in our unconscious, they also fall. And if yeah. there are deep conflicts that haven't been resolved, that they will surface and It puts some people into quite some trouble for them trauma surface they didn't even know they had. And they had to deal with it, which was quite difficult. So that's why I always say, please don't do this. If you have trauma in your past and you haven't worked through it yet, you need to work through it first. It will overwhelm you. You can, it, it, you can, you can get through it, but it's way harder than it would be otherwise. And also, if some people are mentally not stable or take medication or substances prescribed or not prescribed, please don't do it. Seeing this can pull the rug. Because you might feel you need yourself to be able to basically manage somehow. Mm. And um, this is really something where you need to be quite healthy emotionally and mentally to engage and embark on this journey. After the last sense of self falls away, nothing needs to be seen, but then a strong sense of restlessness arises, trying to rebuild what was lost. And this restlessness had already uh, originally started to build the self because it wanted something safe to stand on, something to hold on to, something that makes sure we feel good. Mm. And there was nothing. And so it just invented something. And this restlessness, I always like it to the, to the tides. It's kind of a totally impersonal force, but so strong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it took me quite some time to get through that. It always arose back and back again, looking for this or that. And in the end, for feeling good, yeah. I had a hard time letting go of always feeling good. <laughs> wanting to always feel good always feel good yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not, not possible, possible right to always feel good no it's not possible it's just not no. in the cards yeah. and uh, when the restlessness falls away it, it dies down it's, it's the only step where it's no, there is no shift it simply dies down and one day I realized oh everything is so calm hmm. 
and uh, then the view is free to see what was ignored. Ignore, ignorance is the first step. And when that is seen, it's more like a joke, actually, because it, what is true had been there all along. It was never different, no matter what I thought. And it's like you went on a long journey, and when you finished the journey, you found yourself in the same place as before, just from a different perspective. Ah. Yeah. It was like a fish swimming the seven seas in search of water, basically. <laughs> well, the fish is in the, is in the waters, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is always there. It's hidden in plain sight. It's not hidden. It's hidden in plain sight. You can see it. But we invented so many things to not see it that it feels really hard to unravel all this again. Wow. So everything we ever need in our life is hidden in plain sight. It's right in front of us. Yeah. Yes, what you're looking for, if you want to awaken, to be enlightened, it is right in front of you. But you need to look there. Mm. And to really look, what is doing this? Really look. What is doing this? You know? Yeah. What is doing this? What is well, it? How do I avoid, how do I avoid um, distractions? Because in this world today, we are so distracted with a lot of things. How do I really let go of all these distractions and really focus and find what's right in front of me? Very good. That's very important. I would strongly suggest that if somebody embarks on this journey, that they maybe have a year of dedicated meditation practice. Just watching the breath. And you know, um, when you do a breath meditation, you simply feel the breath, or some people count the each out breath till 10. One, two, three, till 10. Mm. And then go back to one. It's just counting from one to 10. And sometimes you find yourself at 17. Then you just go mm. back to one because you thought of something. And sometimes you don't know where you were because you were in thoughts. Then you also go just back to one. No blame, no shame. Yeah. And that way you learn to focus on something. That's a very necessary skill. Three-second attention span won't do. You, you feel the breath wherever you feel mm. it. Some feel it at the nose, some feel it in the belly. And then you count each out-breath until ten. And then you simply start over. And you can start with five minutes, up to 25 minutes, but each day five minutes is already really good. That's yeah, and you will also notice that it calms you down a lot. Just, mm -hmm. just following the breath. And thoughts will be there, no problem. If you got lost in thoughts, just notice that you got lost and then return and go back to one. That's, yes, yeah. it's just like lifting weights. You just have yeah. to practice. Yes, true. So um, earlier you mentioned, you know, um, once you not try this out or once you not go on this journey, um, when you want to some traumas or some past experiences that are bad. So how do I let go of all of these um, traumas, all these um, bad experiences from the past so that I can go on this journey of um, searching for awakening? Yes, a normal therapy will be good. Just a normal psychotherapy. Now, I'm a trained psychoanalyst. It doesn't have to be psychoanalysis. It can be mm. any kind of therapy. 
I always say you need to feel good with the therapist. That's the basic thing. Uh, research has proven that's the most predictive factor for success. If you feel comfortable with the therapist. And, yes. and, and just do therapy first. In Germany, here we have the very lucky conditions that they are paid for. Mm. Uh, that's not in all countries the case, unfortunately. But um, therapy will really, really help. I really would not wish it on anybody to have a trauma surface after the self has gone and they hadn't even known of it. Mm. It's like they, yeah, they, could re they could recall the circumstances that would connect to that, but they couldn't recall the trauma, but then suddenly all the feelings were there. Do a therapy mm. and just give yourself um, the benefit of resolving all these, all these old issues. Many more feelings will surface during the inquiry. That's normal. Like I had, I think, 1,500 hours of psychoanalysis training. So my own psychoanalysis, 1,500 hours over seven wow. years. And I still had so much surfacing. It was amazing. But then you're trained to deal with feelings. And you know that it's all right. It won't kill you to feel them. But this mm. is something you need to learn. You know, we are all very much trained to run away from everything that's uncomfortable. And we are hardwired to do so too. And how do I, how do I say, I'm not running away from um, my fears. I'm going to face it overcome it and move forward are there like some tricks some tips on how to do that mm -hmm. yeah just allow it like when you're afraid a feeling is always body sensations that are there plus mm. a name if you want to so allow the fear to be there it's actually your friend it's not your enemy tries to warn you right mm -hmm. it might be not justified but it, it tries to help it's not your enemy. And then just find out what body sensations are actually called fear. What do you actually feel? What are you experiencing? Wherever you feel it. And allow yourself to feel the body sensations. You can sink into them like into a warm bath. And feeling them like that Find out whether the sensations are anxious themselves. Yeah. Are the sensations anxious? Do they know about their name? And I don't think so. No. And can the name feel the sensations? Hmm. And then you will be rather far removed from the name. And when you come back and the name fear is added again, it will be added. Then something very amazing happens. You know, you were in these sensations. They were actually quite bearable. They were just sensations. No, they are not afraid. They are just sensations. And, uh, and then you come back and, ah, I'm so afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so it all comes back. Yeah. Words yeah. make such a difference. Words make so much mm. difference. The big, the big, the biggest part of it is that we put all these names, these tags on it, and it really scares us extra. As it, yes. it adds more graffiti to it. It's actually the only thing that scares us. You know? Yeah. Yes. It's the only thing that scares us. You will experience that. Should you be afraid at some point? Just allow yourself to feel the body sensations that are called fear. Mm. 
and just find out whether they're really that bad yeah. or whether they're not just a body sensation that actually can be felt. Uh, during my inquiry, my partner was very, very sick and nearly died after surgery and uh, had already been home and then had to be picked up by the ambulance and the emergency medical personnel again because it was so bad. Yeah. And I was driving to the hospital and I was so afraid. And then I thought, wait, <laughs> you know, after some time you get pretty fluent with that. Wait, what are the body <laughs> sensations? So I felt the body sensations. I was calmly driving along, feeling the body and sensations mm. to Eppendorf, which is the university hospital. And when I got out of the car and lost my focus, the fear was back. Ah! I'm going to lose my partner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's so oh. that's so amazing what this labeling does. It really creates all the drama. Wow. You know, wow. and that's the secret where you can comfort children so quickly. I always wondered, you know, they fell. They really hurt themselves. They have a bloody knee. And you just hug them and blow a bit, and they are <laughs> fine again. How does this work? But actually, it is like that pain is very short-lived. Only our thoughts make it go on. Hmm. For example, um, that is very long ago. In my, during my early Zen training, I sprained my ankle really badly, but I had in a, a date with a very old friend and we hardly met and I didn't want to miss it. So I took a taxi there and and we met and she cooked some tea and I was sitting with my foot up and I was so sick of pain. I was so sick. It was so such a bad pain. And then I had one of these brighter thoughts that said, wait, you can only have the pain, my Zen teacher talking, of this moment and not the moment yes. before, not the moment after. Only the pain of this moment. I thought, okay, how much pain is actually there in this moment? <laughs> you won't believe it. <laughs> I didn't have any pain whatsoever. It was wow. all See? in here. <laughs> all in the head. <laughs> wow. So your brain was planning for the pain in the future or the pain from the past. It was still in the head. It was all in my head because you can only have the pain of this moment. It's not possible to have the one of the moment before the one of the moment that will come next. Hmm. It's, wow. it's so amazing what our Kopkino, our head cinema does. Hmm. It's really amazing. It really creates a whole world with a lot of drama, Oscar-worthy drama. <laughs> yeah but is, is, are, there, are there ways of training your mind or training your brain to, to make sure that it does not have this Oscar award winning drama so <laughs> is it possible is it possible for me to train my brain to tell it live in the moment yes. don't think about well, the future too much or the past living in the moment will happen automatically when the self falls away I don't think that it's possible to do that um, without that fully but you can train yourself there as well. And it's very simple. Mm. It's two steps. One, very simple. You can do it in 15 se no, 30 seconds. Check what your thoughts are about. Just check it shortly. Always, no blame, no shame. Then check what are you actually seeing, hearing, touching. We are always touching something because there's gravity. And mm. is there any taste or smell? 
The first mm. is that what we call fiction, that's happening in thoughts. And the other stuff, what we see and hear and touch and taste and smell, is the life this body is going through. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and when I saw really take note of these areas. Right, yeah. right. Just go back to the actual experience. And you can just do that ever so often. I mean, even if when you're working, you can just do it. It's also a very good distressor, de-stressor. Just use one sense and, for example, ask yourself, how does it smell right now? And just sniff. How does it smell? Puts mm. you right back into the present moment. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to use that all the time. Like when I feel so lost or just to be, just to be, be in the moment, I'll just, how does this smell right now? Mm, true. Yeah. yeah and then, uh, you, uh, if you want, you can go on and look around. What's there? That is the life you're going through right now. On your website, um, findingawakening.com, you have this workshop that we mentioned earlier and we did this touching exercise. The other exercises like hearing and um seeing or experiencing the world as you mentioned earlier um can one practice it on his own or our own or yes you do, can do i need like help with you can practice this on your own definitely you might i just have to fill the form yeah fill the you you might need to um some help if you have trouble getting the actual experience into focus you know if you're very distracted yeah yeah I mean, that, that's, that's honestly, that's one, um, one challenge I have, mm -hmm. being focused. Yeah. Like, I always have a thousand thoughts in my mind, like, I'm planning this, and I'm doing this, and I'm trying to fix something at the moment. Right. And that's why I asked you earlier, that how can I switch off my brain to be in the moment? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that's normal. Um, and that's why meditation mm -hmm. helps so much, because it trains this muscle to actually turn towards what is experienced, like the breath. Yeah. That's what, what, what it helps with. Now, you know, I had 40 years of meditation experience. So mm. that was a strong muscle already, which helped me a lot. It really helped me. Yeah. Yes. So I, I have this one question. Um, as, as a mentor, you, you, you mentor like seekers on their part of awakening. And you've, you've been doing this since 2015, 2015. Um, are there like some common mistakes that you've not yet mentioned that you would love to tell me about so that I would definitely or try my best not to um, make them? The, there is one mistake only, and that what mistake, it's um, one difficulty, one major difficulty. It's mm. taking thinking for experiencing, mixing thinking with experience. So you're oh. actually thinking like, my mind is turning the head. What does the mind, what is it? I, I don't know what the mind is. Um, so be very clear whether you are actually experiencing it or not. Would a seven-year-old say, my mind is turning my hand? Never do this. Oh, never do this with minors, please. <laughs> Once on a campsite, <laughs> I had a philosophical yeah, yeah. seven-year-old becoming my friend. Yeah. And so we played with that. And we found an old um, sandal on the beach. And mm. and I said, what is this? And she said, a sandal. 
And I said, yes. And now imagine, you would have never seen this before. What is this then? What could you do with it? And she invented all this kind of stuff. A spade, you could shovel the sand with it. And you could, you know, use it as decoration. And she had so many ideas. And I was so tempted to say, and when you think of you, the me, what is that? She would have seen it immediately. And uh, I thought, oh, no, I don't. Kids are totally, they, they're still in the experience, totally. Yeah. And, um, but they should first develop a normal psychic structure before they see these things because mm. I actually experienced quite a lot of fear on the journey. And mm. it's, it's always only in the thoughts, but it does feel quite daunting that there is no me there any longer. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yes, um, but train the muscles and just get used and you will up from time to time when, for example, watching the breath drop into calmer states and you will get used to them. So the basic thing and for discerning thinking from experiencing is just... Okay, what do I see, hear, touch, taste, smell? That is what is experienced. That's how yes. a researcher works. What do we actually find? This is our hypothesis. Is it true or not? What do we find? Mm -hmm. And what we are thinking is all nice and good, but is it true? Yeah. Well, so... Um uh, this, this is this is very brilliant. As in, I've learned a lot from you already today, and like, <laughs> I have a lot of work to do on myself <laughs> personally. And I hope the listeners and my friends out there will also pick a lot of things from this and you know learn from it. But I I, I would I would love to get some advice from you. Like, um, I'm on this part of this podcast is about self improvement and you know self awareness reflection. And also now, finding awakening. Um, are there some advices you would love to give to me? Like extra advices, what you've not mentioned yet up to this moment. Like what can I do to actively um, stay on this path of um, self-improvement or finding awakening? Well, I think the best thing would be to train the muscles a bit so it gets easier. Mm. And then if you want to do it on your own, I would uh, recommend the book I used. It's called The Gateless Gate Crashes um, by Ilona Sionaiti and Jelena Njerzinski. Um, the founders of that forum are Ukrainian or Belarus, I don't know, and um, Lithuanian. And just you can use the dialogues and just ask the questions yourself. That I asked that. That's what I did. But later then, I got a guy to help me. I couldn't have done it on my own. And so we need. But the first step is definitely doable on your own. And uh, you can also drop into my group. I have a Finding Awakening community on Facebook. You can ask questions there if you're engaged in an inquiry on your own, and I'll answer it. And I also offer guidings where we have a dialogue, just like we did now, where I yes. ask questions either written or in, on Zoom calls, or we just write emails. And, uh, mm. and then the seeker explores, and um, I ask further questions until the penny drops. Yeah. 
So I'm going to place all your information in the show notes for this episode so that everybody or anyone who is interested um, would get across to you. But can you tell us, like, where can we stay connected with you, stay up to date with your work and your projects? The best would be to uh, go and find um, uh, findingawakening.com and yes. there you can subscribe to my newsletter and mm. also download the Key to Awakening, which is already an introductory course, which you can do on your own. And it also has the, the answers. So you yeah, know yeah, um, yeah. how far you're into actually experiencing what is or whether there are still thoughts mixed in. Mm. And yes. feel free um, to connect to me on the contact page or on Facebook. On Facebook. Okay. So I'm going to place all this information and I hope um, there'll be some people out there who really want to find awakening and not just search for it and then um, get across to you and you could help them or mentor them on this path mm -hmm. of finding awakening. So, um, thank you so much, Christiana Michelle Berger, for your time. I appreciate every word of um, wisdom. I appreciate every word of wisdom and knowledge I've learned from you and gotten from you today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Toby. It was such a pleasure talking to you, really. I really <laughs> loved it. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I am eternally grateful for your time your love and contributions. You mean a lot to me. Thank you once again for listening and sharing with your loved ones. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this journey on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other platforms in the description. Stay blessed.